All righty. Um, yeah, 42, or 42 41. Right? This is the post game wrap up right. show. All massive victories and devastating losses covered here. Inside OU on the What's Franchise up, Podcast to Network. Post game edition of the Inside OU Podcast. This is Brady Trantham, and I am joined by a driving John Hoover who is in transit back from Norman, Oklahoma to his humble abode in Tulsa. Um, leaving the site where Oklahoma left Owen Field by the skin of their teeth with a victory, John, 42-41 over the Iowa State Cyclones. Iowa State's a good team. You and I talked about that on Monday's podcast. We knew that going into this game. 42-41. to John, what in the name of God is wrong with this team, especially in that second half? Well, it's a good question. I think you've got a legitimate uh, legitimate concerns there because uh, there's there's a lot to be concerned with with the defense. There's a lot to be concerned with with Jalen Hurts' decision-making ability. There's a lot to be concerned with with Lincoln Riley's play calling again. He he admitted again in the press conference, in the post-game press conference, I had a bad game calling plays. Uh, Jalen Hurts threw that interception that essentially nearly gave Iowa State the victory. I mean, it might as well have been a pick six for, for the situation that it was in. Oh, yeah. Uh, Parnell Motley with the pass interference that wasn't called. Otherwise, they get to do that two-point conversion over again uh, from a yard closer, I presume, this time. Uh, the defense just absolutely collapsed. The offense had, uh, in the fourth quarter, ran, gosh, what was it, 10 plays for 25 yards in the fourth quarter? Meanwhile, Iowa State ran... 24 plays for 125 yards in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Iowa State was naming its score until that last Parnell Motley uh, faux interception on the two-point conversion that won't actually count as a takeaway but makes everybody feel <laughs> a lot better. Yeah, it was the um, – it, it felt like it was the reverse of the Kansas State game in that Iowa State played the role of Oklahoma where their offense caught fire at the right time. Um, however, instead of OU not – having the ball what you know that much in the in the third quarter like they did against Kansas State it was pretty much the fourth quarter OU I mean even in the entire second half John like looking at the box score uh basically getting a feel on Twitter because I was actually um covering the Thunder's victory over the Golden State Warriors tonight I was able to watch a lot of the first half which um if if I hadn't seen any of the fourth quarter I would have just kind of jumped on this podcast and gone well, that was a great, another routine sooner victory, John. Oh, you did exactly what they did uh, needed to, take care of business. And then you could have said, uh, actually, they fell off the wagon <laughs> in the second half. That's exactly what happened. Just um, Lincoln Riley's play calling, Jalen Hurts' de- decision-making. But even, even still, John, Jalen got away with a lot of bad decisions tonight. In the first half, yep. there was a drop pick six. There was even another dropped interception, potentially, for Iowa State in the first half. This was the first time that Jalen really had a bad game from start to finish. He had a bad first half against Texas. Um, you, you could say that maybe he didn't make enough plays in the second quarter, in the third quarter, and what limited opportunities he had against Kansas State. But this was the first time where Jalen Hurts' limitations really reared their ugly heads from start to finish, and it almost cost OU a, a home loss. Well, let's not forget the opening drive, Brady, where he underthrew C.D. Lamb by five yards and the ball should have been intercepted. The Iowa State defensive back totally misplays it. Yeah, that's uh, what C.D. I was... comes back, 
grabs the football out of the air and stumbles into the end zone for a 45, 48-yard touchdown. Looked beautiful. Looked amazing. Only it was a really bad throw. Also, the one you referenced that uh, that should have been intercepted, uh, there was the one that should have been a pick six by Greg Eisworth, who's a fantastic player. He just dropped a pick six. And then the other one goes through the guy's hands into C.D. Lamb's hands, and he turns it into a 19-yard game. So Jalen Hurts, 14 of 17 in the first half, 232 yards and three touchdowns, and should have had three interceptions. He, he just – I just – I mean, I'm not knocking the guy, but I guess I'm knocking the guy, you know. I mean, he made some really – he got lucky, extremely lucky. Uh, and if, if those interceptions are caught or batted down even – the, the one that turned into touchdown and the other one that turned into a 19-yard game, if those are just batted down, Oklahoma probably doesn't win this game. So moving forward, you've got Baylor, who's, uh, what, 9-0 and now? Um, first place in the Big 12 Conference? Yeah, they might, after, crack the, they might crack the top 15 this Tuesday. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> after surviving today against TCU, which was just a ridiculous 9-9 in the, in the over- regulation, <laughs> they survived that game. They win the game in triple overtime. And now they're hosting Oklahoma. You think they're not feeling, I don't know, lucky right now? You think they're not feeling fortunate, feeling themselves, maybe you could say? Because I bet they can't wait for OU to come to town next week. Oh, yeah. I hesitate. I don't even want to think about what Baylor's receivers are going to do against these safeties because, John, um, we talked about it, especially the first two or maybe even probably mostly the first two weeks of the year. The safeties are by far – Oklahoma's weakest link on the defensive side of the football pretty much after like since the UCLA game up until about oh probably Kansas State um, the safeties have actually over overachieved and looked pretty damn solid Patrick Fields and Delarian Turner Yellow have really strung together a lot of of consecutive uh, solid performances especially in terms of them just simply tackling the ball carrier when the guy gets to them into the second and third level but since then, Kansas State, bad performance tonight. It looked exactly like last year. It looked exactly like the year before. Guys falling down. Guys taking terrible, terrible damn angles to the ball carrier. Guys being in position to make a play at least on the ball for a, a pass breakup. And they don't even do anything to the ball. And you see an Iowa State guy, uh, receiver, catch the ball for a big game downfield just so many so many just boneheaded like what the hell are you doing and you you compound that with the fact that the defensive line hasn't been nearly as dominant as they had been up until the uh, texas texas victory that doesn't help your secondary the linebackers kind of in the same boat and then you add jalen hurts just, I don't know what what was wrong with his accuracy tonight, but all that just, all that just led up into this. I don't even know what to describe, how to describe this game. OU won the game, and OU fans and Lincoln Riley would be so happy if they had won this, won a game in similar fashion two weeks ago when they went up to Manhattan. <laughs> Victories yeah. are important, John, but oh my God, this is terrible moving forward. Well, uh, don't let and i'm i'm quoting here don't let jalen hurts's stoic face fool you he's very happy that the team won okay oh god i hope so i was recording my uh my post-game analysis brady and uh in the in the press box and uh i actually referred to it as a loss 
you know, I was I was trying to, you know, as you're talking into the camera and you're gathering your next thought and you're formulating your next sentence while you're saying this one, I actually said, you know, the Sooners uh, come away with a close loss. Wait a minute. That's not right. And I had to correct myself because that's what it felt like. <laughs> Losing this game was it was the, the difference between this game. If if you thought the the Kansas State finish was close where it came down to force touching. <laughs> there was no force touching to be had in this game, Brady. It was, it was Oklahoma uh, doing everything it could in the fourth quarter to give this football game away. Yeah, and even for a split second on the Parnell Motley, I mean, what are they? What did they consider it? A pass breakup at the end of the day? Not. It's it's not an interception. It's not. It's a non scrimmage play. It's just an extra point. Attempt. Okay, because even then, like when that play happened live, I was actually in the media room at Chesapeake Energy Arena watching that as it ha- unfolded, I my first thought was they're going to throw a flag and they're just going to get another chance, another crack at getting it, and then they'll get it. That's going to be how the game ends. The flags never came. Yeah. It's – I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to say about this defense because going into this game and I guess even talking to some friends throughout the week – I had just been saying, you know, I think the defense has earned the benefit of the doubt at least this year by how they've played throughout the entire year despite the Kansas State loss. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, they're just the same as they were last year. They're terrible, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you need to outscore everybody here on out. Um, This game was not a good indictment on that. Uh, They looked – they've regressed. They continue to struggle to get off the field on third down and even on fourth down. How many fourth downs did Iowa State – convert tonight was it just well, one in the in the first half iowa state was 0 for 4 on third down conversions it was brilliant they were doing they were getting a lot of second downs but in the fourth quarter the second half in the fourth quarter it just turned the tables yeah. turned so uh alex grinch talked specifically tonight and so did lincoln riley about the missed tackles uh grinch said that they missed more tackles tonight than they probably missed all year the rest of the year combined um he said it reared its ugly head Again, the missed tackles, and I don't think he was talking about you know the the South Dakota game or the Houston game. I think he was talking about the Mike Stoops era and and the Ruffin McNeil era, where last year they they couldn't tackle me and you, and yeah. uh, that that that's what it looked like today. They missed uh, the Brees Hall, the the fantastic freshman running back. He made four guys miss on one play. Ended up making like a fourteen or sixteen yard gain on a swing pass that they ended up scoring a touchdown on. But that's just, I mean, I can't even, it's like one guy missed two tackles on the same play. How do you do that? I don't understand where where this defense's mentality is. Yeah, I mean, Brock Purdy, extremely talented quarterback. Um, Yeah, six touchdowns. Statistically the second best quarterback coming into tonight's game uh, in the Big 12 Conference. And he can can make some plays with his legs. Like, he's not... He's not Dan Marino in terms of scrambling or leaving the pocket. No, he's, he's very nifty. Yeah, he's, 55 he's, yards rushing and two touchdowns tonight. But that last drive where I think he took off twice, um, broke, uh, broke contain, yep. and either a linebacker or safety had them dead to rights in the open field, and all he did was make one slow-ass cut, yeah. and you see whoever's like coming in for the tackle just slide out of the way. That... That kind of goes back to Alex Grinch, what was it, after the third or fourth game of the year where he told you guys, we have too much of an onus on, our, on ourselves to just say my bad. That has just popped up way too much. 
the, the inability for this defense to make simple plays, to make the simple play. I don't care about the pick, the interceptions. I don't care about the force fumbles. We talked about that on Monday. Just make the simple goddamn play, and they cannot do it, John. Yeah. They made, I'll tell you this. Let me phrase it to you this way. Maybe this will, you'll comprehend what I'm talking about. They made Brock Purdy look like Skylar Thompson tonight. Yep, yep. There you go. <laughs> right? I mean, he's slippery and he's a good player, but I tried to get Kenneth Murray, Alex Grinch, and Lincoln Riley to all say, yeah, man, six touchdowns, Brock Purdy, he's a handful. And you know what they said? To a man, they said, yeah, he's a nice player. He made some good plays. Like, there is no way that dude should have been doing that to our defense. That's what I was hearing when I was asking that question. Yeah. I, I mean – this has been OU's. This has been their mo for the last three or four years. They they make they make average quarterbacks look great. And I'm not saying Brock Purdy is average. Obviously, I just said he's the second best quarterback coming yeah. into the tonight's game in the Big 12 Conference. Statistically, he's talented. But just like Skylar Thompson is talented, John, he was not. I'm converting every single third down I get today. Right. That, he's not. He wasn't that good. Brock Purdy was not six touchdowns on the road against Oklahoma, especially of how of how inconsistent Iowa State has looked, and especially offensively this entire year. I don't know. I, I'm sick and tired of seeing offenses and opponents play OU and have the game of their season and have the game of their lives. And yes, I understand that when you've got the O and the U on your helmet, you're typically going to get the opponent's best, you know, week of preparation. You're, you're going to get all the stops thrown at you. I get that, but you're also OU, and you're also ta- like way more talented than them nine times out of ten. These happen way too much. There is a common denominator, yeah. um, and it is. I, I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. We can do that. We can do that on another day. But um, we've talked well, about. The, to, go ahead, John. To, to maybe uh, not finish your thought, but to continue it or take it in another direction, I asked uh, Lincoln Riley tonight in the post game if there was any common theme between the team's performance t- tonight in the second half and specifically the fourth quarter. And how they did at you know the second and third quarter at I at Kansas State. Was there any similarities? Was there any common theme? And I'm telling you, Lincoln Riley is as frustrated right now as I've ever seen him, whether as offensive coordinator or head coach or uh, or anything. He is extremely frustrated right now. You know how I've been telling you for the past uh, couple of years that. What I like best about Lincoln Riley is he's very respectful in press conferences. He lets you finish your questions. He, he's very thoughtful and insightful when he considers an answer. Tonight, three times in the middle of my question, it was like, no, no, nothing. There's nothing there. There's no reason. There's nothing similar. There's, there's you know, Brock Purdy's a good player. You know what I mean? He yeah. was that agitated, and I'm not knocking him for that. Listen, he's going through some stuff right now that I can't even comprehend. I'm not making this about me. I'm making an observation that he's not the same guy he was um, three weeks ago. He is that much more agitated at the whole world right now that he's he's his personality's changed to the point where he won't even listen to person a person finishing his question when really that was his strength previously was – allowing someone to finish their question and then give an insightful answer rather than cut them off and shout them down. Uh, that was amazing to me tonight, his his uh, post-game press conference. Uh, I'll have that thing posted on my YouTube channel very shortly. So you, you guys, if you're listening to this uh, tonight, tomorrow, 
throughout Sunday watching NFL, check out that YouTube. Check out Lincoln Riley. It's going to be interesting. Good. I want to watch it. But I just said that I wasn't going to go down that rabbit hole, but f*** it. I'm going to do it anyway because I'm, I'm getting sick and tired of this, John. Um, there is a reason why OU continuously does this. And I understand the great listeners that listen to this podcast. You might get upset with me with what I'm about to say. There, there is... There is somebody to blame for this. I understand why Lincoln is so frustrated. He's so frustrated because he understands he has little to no margin for error with his offense. Now, Jalen Hurts has limitations. We've said that all year. But he is still a very talented quarterback and a very capable quarterback that can make this machine go. And he has since done that up until about today. And even still, he had three touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. And we're saying he had a bad game, which he did. But he has, as an offensive play caller, Lincoln Riley, little margin for error because this defense is, at best, average. Alex Grinch has done a good job of um, making this defense overachieve this season. But this defense is less than average on just any other normal day. And the reason why is because the former head coach of this school fell asleep at the wheel recruiting-wise and OU on defense is left with maybe about two or three guys that could start on any average, you know, if you if you stretch out OU's, you know, football history, 100 and so some odd years, 125 years, any average good OU defense, Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore prop could probably start or play heavy, you know, rotation plays on any of those defenses. Outside of that, you've got a whole bunch of you wouldn't play, you wouldn't play, you wouldn't ever see the field, you would get cut, you wouldn't have got a scholarship. OU is left with so much average on this defense, and it shows itself over and over and over again with those terrible angles, those inability to make plays, the inability to, to, to tackle. That's why he's frustrated, because it doesn't matter if he has Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Tom Brady, at the end of the day, he still has to depend on a bunch of average defensive players to make above-average plays. Well, so his offense, or his offense, has to score way too much. I get you. I I get what you're saying, and I certainly don't disagree with what you're saying. But let me ask you this, and I got this quitter this this question on Twitter tonight. I'll just call it a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if if Alex Grinch says during the week when he gets the question. So, Delaire and Turner, yeah, might not play, might play. You know, what's what's the situation behind those guys? Is it Justin Broyles and anybody else? And his answer is, no, it's nobody else. It's just Justin Broyles. He's got to he's got to play. I could have swore they had a national signing day last December and last uh, February. Listen, I know they're freshmen, but if you're telling me that that Patrick Fields and Justin Broyles and Delaire and Turner yell, it's those three and nobody else. Yeah. Then did you, what did you do in recruiting? Those were the four-star guys that they brought in. Those guys are supposed to be great athletes. Those guys are supposed to be ready to play, and they're not even sniffing the field. I don't even know if they're on scout team right now. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Bob did. Bob and his last few staffs didn't do a great job recruiting, and left the cupboard bare at a couple of positions on defense. There's no doubt about it. But Lincoln's been here long enough, and now you know Alex Grinch is, is only just getting started. Those guys have been here for the most part long enough that there should be some players. Mike Stoops was applauded. He, you know, people around here said, 
we don't want him anywhere near our, def- our defense, but damn, he can sure recruit. Where are those recruits? Why are those guys not getting on, on the field? If if Delaire and Turner Yell couldn't tackle a tackling dummy, uh, you know, why is why is no one else getting a shot? And, and I know Alex Grinch is a lot smarter about this than you and me. He's going to play the guys that are the best players. He's going to play the guys that are playing the best. But really, where are the other guys? And I want to take this in another direction really quick before you answer that. We've seen two teams now, Kansas State and Iowa State, who their MO is fundamentals and play hard and give it give it your all and put your heart in it. Those guys at those two schools play with a lot of heart. And what I'm asking is, does Oklahoma play with heart? I mean, they get, they did a hell of a job last week, coming two weeks ago, coming back from that 25-point fourth-quarter deficit. No doubt, that showed a lot of heart. And they made some plays tonight that helped them win the game. No doubt, that showed a lot of heart. But how do these things keep happening to a team that is supposed to be better than the teams they're playing? The other teams are outplaying them. They're whipping their ass, and they're showing a lot of heart. I don't know if this Oklahoma team has a lot of heart yet. Exactly. And, you know, this is something that, I guess is still surprising you and I because on the last postgame show following the Kansas State loss, all we talked about was I thought the leadership was better than this. I, I didn't yeah. think that, like, oh, you could, of course, lose a game. Like, I didn't think any of us thought that they were going to go undefeated. But in the fashion that they lost Kansas State was surprising. But, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the merit, the, the heart of this team is certainly in question because you've got Jalen Hurts – on a pivotal drive in the fourth quarter making a, a mistake that Spencer Sanders would make at Oklahoma State because that was a pure and utter freshman mistake. I'm going to draw this play out for no reason and then just force the ball directly into a cornerback's hands for a, a, a potentially damning interception. Just so many boneheaded plays that a team with discipline and a team with good leadership should not make. But, I mean, going back to your original point, John, we had, we talked to Rufus about, you know, Woody Washington or Jeremiah Cradell potentially um, uh, seeing the field this season. And he was adamant about they're just not there yet physically. Yeah. And that may be true. And I'll, I'll, I'll side with, I'll, I guess I'll side with Rufus on that one since he has obviously seen these guys practice a little bit more than any of us have. Um, but I mean, I, I still agree with you at the same time. Still, it can't be much worse because we, we know what DTY can bring. We know what Patrick Fields can bring. We know what Justin Broyles can bring. And it really ain't good enough when you're talking about a 12, 13, 14 potential game season. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I, I don't know what the answer is. I got the question on Twitter today. I got another Twitter. Um, Yes. What about Jordan Parker at safety? I mean, I don't know. Jordan Parker's always been a, a corner, except for the couple of times Mike Stoops tried to roll him over to safety. That didn't work. So, so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is moving forward. But they need to figure it out in the next, uh, you know, four, five, six days going into the Baylor game, or Baylor could put up put a, an embarrassment on them. Oh God. You know, it, see, like I could already see, like Baylor has struggled on offense for two weeks now. <laughs> and outside of a strong fourth quarter in Stillwater, you could maybe even say three weeks. And then they're going to look like the they're they're going to look like the 2008 2008 Oklahoma Sooners unless OU comes to play next Saturday. 
Well, they've got some good players, and they're extremely well coached. Um, they're going to be. It's going to be a night game in Waco at McLean. The student body is going to be beside itself with frenzy. So everything is going to be in Oklahoma against Oklahoma that day, and that might be the time that Oklahoma plays its best. I mean, I'm sitting here questioning their heart. If they've got any heart, that'll be an opportunity for them to show it. No question, and it would definitely be it would definitely be another example of OU just showing up absolutely when they should and dominating in the fashion that they should, um, especially after you know back to back bad performances, average performances. I guess as it balances out, but um, I guess let's get to a a question that I've had, and I'm curious what you think about it, John. Do you think? And I, and I hate asking this because it sounds so hot take-ish. Do you think Lincoln Riley is a good coach during a game? Um, I, think he has, uh, I think he has exposed some flaws in his game management um, opportunities or game management situations throughout, throughout, throughout the last, uh, really, all three years. Go, go all the way back to uh, the Rose Bowl and the, the onside kick, or not the onside kick, but the squib kick, uh, the, miss, the management of that game down the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah, I think you could go back and, and point out a handful of instances where that's a legitimate question. I think he's a, uh, an amazing quarterback's coach. I think he's very gifted. He's a whisperer. Uh, I think he's an unbelievable game planner. He's extremely smart. He, he might be literally the most intelligent person I know. But when it comes to managing a football game in certain situations, he comes into the postgame press conference and he, he says, I should have done this different. I should have done that different. That different. When we're down, we're, we're either down there on the field in the final seven, eight minutes of the game, or we're up in the press box and we're saying the exact same thing. Why is he doing this? Why would you? So, so your question is, is somewhat legitimate. You've, you've uh, killed Bob Stoops, and now you're stabbing Lincoln <laughs> Riley. So I think we just lost all 1,000 of our subscribers. But, no, I mean, you, you ask a, an interesting question because he, he, he leaves himself open for criticism with some very questionable game management decisions. Yeah, and I'm not, I, I don't want, want people to think that I think Lincoln Riley is bad by any means, but it's just a question I've been toying with over the last few weeks just because of what you just said like he's going he's now in his third year as the head coach the honeymoon period is starting to wear off I guess maybe maybe just with me but maybe with the entire fan base I don't know but more and more like the more and more games that we see Lee can rally coach you just start to see little things here and there. It, it, the same thing happened with Bob. You know, the the honeymoon wore off maybe around 2005. You know, after OU got destroyed by USC in the 04 title game. But you know, after a few seasons, you start to see things progress as they continue <laughs> to progress. You know, in the pattern in which things happen. And I'm getting really philosophical and stupid. It's two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But um, my thing with Lincoln Riley is just. I guess what he complains about himself to you guys in the press conference, he second guesses himself. Yeah. And the, the probably the other main thing that's really bothered me is just the lack of discipline. Because while we both agree that the leadership of this team has been, I mean, up until, you know, the last few weeks, fairly strong considering 
it, they're relying on a guy who hasn't been on campus for his entire career in Jalen Hurts. The leadership's been strong, but the discipline has lacked. Like OU is one of the worst penalized teams in the country. Um, yeah. They against Kansas State, they gave up two or three big third or fourth downs because of being undisciplined. Um, and that comes from coaching. That comes from Lincoln Riley and maybe being a player's coach, maybe being a younger guy and trying to uh, harness the most out of his talent by appealing to emotion. Maybe that has its pros and cons, of course. But I mean, I, I don't know. Lincoln Riley's still a young coach. Um, he's still young in his career. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of the risk and the reward of, all right, you got the keys handed to you at a big time blue blood program. Um, which you get all the great resources as a result, but at the same time, every little failure is just magnified times a zillion. It's not like being the head coach at East Carolina where you can you can learn and fail at the same time, and no one really gives a damn. Yeah, I think I think you you make good points. Um, he is young, he is learning, and he he will continue to surround himself with. With uh, I, I think with with good coaches and smart football guys, guys who have a maybe a, a, an innate uh, knowledge of game management that will maybe impart some of that to him as he goes, some of that wisdom, some of that game um, instinct. You know, you don't call timeout in this situation. You always wait to call timeout in that situation. You know, as as these situations crop up, I would I would expect that he will get better and he will grow and he will learn um because he's you're right he's only what what's his record now 30 i can't, I can't remember he was 24 and 4 so coming into today and then he's 32 and 5 yeah he's trash right <laughs> um so he's, he's 37 games into his his uh, head coaching career and he's still learning that i mean listen i've been on the field before i've never coached a big time game obviously but I've been on the field when these things are happening and you don't have the best vantage point. You're looking up at the video board and then you forget that it's second down and not third down. And you, and then you realize, Oh crack, the, the clock is running. Oh man, we got to get a play in. I'm sitting here yelling at the ref. Uh, the play clock's winding down. How many timeouts do we have? Two or three crap. I forgot. And then you look up at the scoreboard again. Oh, there's that replay. The, the things are coming at you literally a hundred miles an hour and you got to process all that and make those decisions. And I told my wife this, um, I don't know, week before last when, uh, you know, I was down on the field and for, for a game and I can't remember which game it was. I think it was the Kansas state game. Uh, I came back from the Kansas state game and, and I'm, I'm down on the field and I'm looking up, you know, the onside kick happened and I'm looking up at the video board and I'm trying to remember what the rule was and the, the refs are, are trying to make a determination and then they go over and they talk to the, to the replay ref and then they talk to both coaches and I'm looking up at the video board and it made me realize at that moment, man, this stuff is happening fast. I mean, real fast. Um, and you're, you know, you're, you're worried about your defensive stop that you just didn't get. You should have gotten a defensive stop, but something happened. And so now you got to consider yourself you got to concern yourself with this player's injury. Is he good to go? Is he 100%? Somebody needs to relay that to you. I'm telling you, man, it goes 900 miles an hour right in your face. And when I was when it when this occurred to me was a few days later, I'm sitting on my couch. It was the next day I was watching a Sunday NFL game. 
and the, the announcers were talking and, you know, this situation came up and I said, well, why would you do that? It's, it's obvious in this situation, if you're a football coach, you should know you need to do this, not that. And I looked at my wife for a second and I said, you know, what's real easy is sitting on my couch, not second guessing because second guessing is for fools. Second guessing is, is a joke. You don't second guess somebody's decisions. You try to make these decisions as they're happening real time. What's, what's really easy is sitting on your couch with no pressure and you're, you're sitting there with a cup of tea or a beer or a cup of coffee or whatever it is and a handful of chips and your wife sitting next to you and your dog, you're petting your dog. And that's when it's easy. But you're down there standing on the sidelines and you're thinking, what the hell just happened? And that's, how, that's when it gets hard. I, I, had a, I have a much better appreciation for those two days. It was two concurrent days of me wondering, being down on the field, wondering what the hell was going on. And then the next day I'm sitting on my couch going, that guy's an idiot. He's a, he doesn't know what to do in this situation. It, it occurred to me, well, these are two different things. So all these years I've been criticizing all these coaches <laughs> from the press box. <laughs> now I wonder, geez, could I have done that? Could I have made that decision? So just, just something to think about. It's a little perspective for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it was easy, then uh, you and I wouldn't be covering the sport. We would be coaching or playing the sport. Exactly. But um, I, I guess we can move over to some – well, really quick before we, before we get to some bright spots, uh, we do need to mention that Trey Sermon – uh, left the game after his lone carry. He finally got a carry, a 14-yard gain. Great. Unfortunately, um, it doesn't look like he. it was a good injury. Uh, he left the field, wasn't able to put a lot of weight on it. I believe it was his left leg. I uh, think that's right. Yeah, went to the medical tent. And then, uh, according to Twitter, I believe it was uh, Chris Plank on the OU uh, radio call. Uh, left the medical tent to the locker room, quote, emotional, unquote. Yep. Probably not a good prognostication, but we don't want to just speculate. But not a not a good look for Trey Sermon's future moving forward. But um, other than that, uh, Kennedy Brooks did get the football, so everybody can stop complaining about that. But, John, my question to you is, why, why in God's name – did Jalen Hurts have 22 carries and Kennedy Brooks, who had a very good game, only had 16? Well, that question is further supported by the five carries for two two net yards in the in the second half that Jalen Hurts had. Yeah. He was running the football great in the first half. And I predicted that if Iowa State ran a consistent drop eight like they did with Baker Mayfield, that he would have 200 yards rushing. Yeah. He seemed to be headed for that kind of day. But then they started realizing uh, Iowa State started aligning its defense and and make and with movement up front, whether it was the linebackers or or defensive ends and and uh, defensive tackles on running twists and stunts. They they decided we're going to hit Jalen Hurts and we're going to hit him a lot and we're going to hit him often we're going to hit him hard and. They just decided we're not worried about Kennedy Brooks, and I think that partly explains why Kennedy Brooks would take a handoff and run 45 yards before anybody touched him. Um, they just sold out. They sold out and said, Jalen Hurts is the one who's going to beat us, and if we're going to win this game, we're going to have to hit him. And they executed that game plan. They took him out in the second half. He was not a factor running the football, but at the price of giving it up to Kennedy Brooks. Yeah, like the Sooner fan in me was 
was saying, oh yeah, Iowa State's going to be in a drop eight coverage all game. Jalen Hurts, just like you said, is going to feast on the ground. He won't have to do that much through the air. Oh, you will win this thing easily. But the smart, logical person in me said, well, they might start with drop eight, but they'll have to adjust because Jalen will just eat them alive on the ground. And that's what Iowa State did because they are a well-coached team. And, you know, you you watch Jalen Hurts and you kind of realize he's talented and he can, he can make a lot of throws. He can't make all the throws and he can't make them all the time. And in fact, he sometimes doesn't even see the throw and takes off anyway. So you don't necessarily need to just say drop eight. We're going to have all these guys back here. You've got to make the throw. You could have six or seven guys back there and still make it difficult on him just because he's not Kyler accurate. He's not Baker accurate. I mean, who is, but that's just the way it is. Iowa State made a really good adjustment, something that uh, Alex Grinch was unable to do against Kansas State. Um, That's what well-coached teams do. Um, I guess I just threw Alex Grinch under the bus, but uh, um, I will give him a shout-out because he he told you guys a lot of embarrassing football today, and I loved hearing that (laughs) just as a frustrated fan. But, um, yeah, the the running game – you just you wrote about it the um, I believe a, a, a week or so ago about Lincoln Riley's insistence on abandoning the running game at crucial moments. I mean, do you do you consider this an example of that, John? I, you could make that argument, but I won't. I won't say that they absolutely abandon it at the wrong time. I think for the most part, um, when Iowa State's dropping eight defenders and daring Jalen Hurts to to beat them and Oklahoma's not exploiting that with uh, the running backs. I think that um, I think that stood out tonight. There, there were just a handful, again, seven carries for 82 yards in the second half by, by Kennedy Brooks. Um, should have been more, probably should have been more, uh, especially against that Iowa state defense, the way they were lined up. Now moving forward. And I hate saying this because it sounds really cutthroat and mean, but if Trey Sermon is going to miss extended time, then yeah. Lincoln doesn't have the problem of, well, I got to balance out carries, even though Trey Sermon has apparently been in the doghouse for the last month and a half. But um, man, that's something that needs Ro- to be. Ramondre Stevenson got one tonight. And he had, 12, he had tonight. 12 yards. Like, why I isn't mean, he getting more carries? I can't answer that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't uh, know what the answer is. But let us get to a, a bright spot, I should say. C.D. Lamb is OU's best player. It's not even oh, yeah. close. Uh, the guy, I mean, he did have a very crucial fumble tonight, but I'm not going to let that one mistake overshadow, A, his, his game tonight and his season thus far. He's been OU's best player the entire year. And, you know, unfortunately with Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State, his uh, season-ending injury, and uh, Jared Judy, who dropped two touchdown passes in, you know, a pretty big game today against LSU. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's looking good for C.D. Lamb's Blitnikoff uh, purposes moving <laughs> forward. But, I mean, C.D. Lamb just every week surprise surprises me and shocks me with how just how good he is. It, it's yeah. rare that a receiver is your best team on a very good team. That's right. Um so I put a poll out there, and I haven't seen the results, but I put a poll out there. Which play of C.D. Lambs was better, the uh, long touchdown today or the long touchdown at Kansas State? Um, because I don't know. I, I just was 
kind of blown away by both of them, obviously. Um, he's, he's a special player, and he's got an absolute thirst for the end zone. It's just it's so much fun to watch him uh, catch a ball in traffic and, and realize these dudes ain't tackling me. Not this time, not today. I mean, he hurdled a guy. A guy was trying to take him out uh, from, a, from an angle, from like a 45-degree angle, and he hurdled him. Hurdled him like he was like the dude was like the dude was on his hands and knees, like like hey CD how's it going buddy you know um, could you not you know run me over and the dude t- tried to take his legs out and her CD's like nah I'm going over it was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean he's playing so damn good, John. That if OU drops another game, I really wouldn't be surprised or upset if he just said, "I'm out. I, I'm going to." protect my body and get ready for the NFL draft because he's playing at that level. He's an NFL receiver playing against college kids and it's not even fair. Um, I'll ask you yeah. this. I'll ask you this. How much of college football did you get to watch today? Um, I left the house at uh, like 10 this morning so I could get to the press box. Uh, it was about 11. I left, I left right when the 11 o'clock games were starting so I could get to the press box so I could watch college football all day. So I watched a lot. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of good things happened for OU's cause. Uh, Minnesota beat Penn State, although I am of the belief that the committee will rank Minnesota ahead of Oklahoma yeah. on Tuesday. And yeah. I think that they should Very because possible. just like I told you about my the, the Baylor thing on Monday, I think it's bullshit that a Power 5 undefeated team in November is you know scratching and clawing to get into the top 10. Minnesota should be ranked ahead of all the number one uh, or all the one loss teams, I think mm-hmm. on Tuesday, they, they deserve it after today. Um, but still it's, it's good for OU because I mean, is Minnesota going to be undefeated? Probably not. And when they lose, it's just another domino that falls in front of Oklahoma. So ultimately should be a good thing. Uh, Baylor, like you said earlier, w- was able to finish out in overtime over TCU, despite field goaling like Baylor and TCU trying to field goal each other to death <laughs> ended up being quite an entertaining overtime game. Um, but that sets up a very big, uh, potential big 12 championship matchup against, uh, yeah. uh, Oklahoma and Baylor college game day is going to be down in Waco. So that'll be exciting. Um, the other domino Kansas state didn't end up, uh, hold up there into the bargain. Uh, cause if Kansas state had won and Baylor had lost, uh, against TCU, the likelihood that OU and Kansas State um, playing again in the Big 12 championship would have, you know, increased, and that would certainly help OU. But uh, Kansas State dropped uh, 27-24 to Texas in Austin, right. so boohoo. Um, the other big game, LSU Alabama. LSU won, which is what OU fans wanted, mm-hmm. but Alabama made it super close, and they came back at the end. If if LSU had just won 33 to 13 or whatever that score was for like the majority of the game. Would have boded well, or would have boded well for um, Oklahoma's purposes, but I mean, I don't know. O- Oklahoma has to dominate Baylor. They've got to dominate TCU, and they've got to dominate OSU, and then of course dominate the Big Twelve Championship game to even have a shot at making the playoff. At this point, it's incredibly early. There's still a lot to do, but I don't. E- I don't even know, John, if this team is capable of doing those things at this point. Yeah, no, I, I think there's bigger issues than, you know, Baylor getting a, a style points win over TCU. I think there's bigger issues than will Minnesota jump them because they, they looked good against Penn State. Uh, there's bigger issues than how far does Alabama fall for a home loss to the number two team in the country. Uh, Oklahoma, um, they got their hands full. 
uh, and I'm going to say it again. I said it the week they played Kansas. They've got their hands full, not with Baylor this week. They've got their hands full with themselves. They've got to look in the mirror and they've got to figure out. It's like it's like uh, Alex Grinch said. You know, this was embarrassing football. I'm embarrassed, and we have a lot to answer for. Absolutely, look in the mirror and start with yourself. And and I'm not just talking about a Grinch. I'm talking about every player on that team. So. Yeah, forget about the playoff. Forget about even the Big 12 championship. You know, focus on what you can do to beat Baylor, but you really need to focus on what you can do to be better than you were in the second half and specifically the fourth quarter of this this game tonight. I mean, it's so it's so weird. I mean, the defense once again didn't have any sacks. Have they had a sack since Texas? Did uh, I, actually they did have a sack against Kansas State. They had a few sacks if I remember correctly, but the def- the defense peaked against Texas, and I'm wondering if they drank the Kool-Aid just like I did on the podcast before Oklahoma played Kansas State. We've seen OU teams do this in the past, especially after a big Texas victory where they peak against Texas and then they slowly start to slide, and then it either they either rebound after one bad loss or it snowballs like in 2014, uh, like in 2011. Uh, 2012, all those examples. Um, that that's on the table for OU if they keep playing like they've been playing these last two weeks. Especially if Jalen Hurts and the offense isn't going to be able to bail out the defense. I mean, the offense they lost. They almost lost OU the game more so than the defense. I mean, if OU had lost, I would have pinned the blame on the uh, offense more so than the defense because the defense is yeah. what they are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The defense. We know what the defense is. Uh, Brock Purdy having six touchdowns against uh, against the Oklahoma Sooners is not a shocking development. It's just not. Um, what's shocking is seeing Jalen Hurts throw that football uh, into coverage. What's shocking is is uh, seeing an offensive line just get overwhelmed in the fourth quarter. What's shocking is seeing Lincoln Riley call pass plays in in the fourth quarter of a game that they're trying to run the clock out. They're snapping yeah. the football with time on the clock, and it's just. Uh, those are the things offensively in, in particular that to me are shocking. It's a far cry from the uh, 2016 uh, OU game against, um, or wait, was this 2015 or no, it was 2017. God, I can't remember anything now. 2017 uh, OU game against uh, Texas Tech where uh, OU just ran the ball the entire fourth quarter and they ran the entire clock out. It was incredible. I had like never seen anything like that. Lincoln can't do that because this offensive line cannot dominate the line of scrimmage. Um, and even still, Jalen Hurts isn't going to get it going uh, by improvising. Then Kennedy Brooks has to make it happen through holes. And if the holes aren't there, you can't run the ball. And th- this is a serious problem. And it's going to bite OU in the ass probably at least one more time. And it could potentially cost OU a shot at a Big 12 championship. Well, at this rate, there's a couple of things that are going against Oklahoma. Not just uh, – I still think they're going to run the table. I still think they're going to beat Baylor. I still think they're going to win the Big 12. But I, I'm, I'm really starting to buy in now that they have almost no shot at the playoff because they're uh, – you know, forget style points. They look they look awful. They don't look like a top win- four team, John. They don't no, look like they, anything they don't look like, like a top, top four team. Four team. They, don't, they hardly look like a top ten team way they played the second half today and the way they played the uh, second and third quarter at Kansas State. No, there's 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 larger issues here and I, I would yeah, I would not be 
not be surprised if Oklahoma actually falls this week from number nine. You know, we're wondering, is uh, is Minnesota going to jump them? Is Alabama going to fall behind them? No. Oklahoma's going to be the one that's doing the falling. So um, I think that the, the playoff thing is something that's probably out of out of reach right now because the, the committee is going to – they're going to continue to win, and they're probably going to continue to win ugly – whether it's at Baylor, whether it's uh, against TCU, whether it's against uh, you know in Bedlam against Oklahoma State, if they're winning ugly, and they're they're a one-loss team that's winning ugly in a, in a conference that doesn't really have that much national respect, they've got no chance. Exactly. They've got literally no chance. They'll have they'll they'll stay around the eight, nine, ten area if they finish thirteen and one, playing like they played today. Yeah, I mean twelve, 12 and one, twelve and one. I mean. Baylor and Minnesota should be ranked against Oklahoma at this point when the Tuesday rankings come out. It's, I mean, they've they've made their bed and they're going to have to lie in it and yep. prove, prove us wrong next Saturday. But uh, John, um, I'll get I'll let you get back to your. I don't even know if you've made it home yet. I don't know if you're still on the Turner. So. No, I'm I'm still in the 405, man. Oh God, <laughs> I've got to edit this thing. You've got to drive another hour and a half home. Like it's going to be a long night, and then I've got to cover the thunder and the milwaukee bucks in 12 hours so wow uh, i'm ex- i'm excited <laughs> but everybody thank you so much for tuning into the post game show hopefully you guys are having a lot more fun than i am and uh hopefully the sun will rise <laughs> and oh you can get back to uh i mean they won but get back to their dominant winning ways john that's all i care about so uh For Mr. John Hoover, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. Once again, OU defeats Iowa State 42-41. Y'all have a good rest of the day. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at BradyDoesSports. Catch all of John Hoover's work at TheFranchiseOK.com. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover and be sure to catch all of his radio call-ins throughout the week on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.